0: Hello everyone, my name is Lucas Engel, and this is the second episode of Opening the Jar. Today I have a great guest and a great friend of mine, Gavin Hardy, welcome Gavin. Thank you. Nice, it's great to have you here today. So, um, you're a double bassist, so I thought, you know, we just jump straight in, kind of tell your experience on how you start, got started playing that instrument or you know, just being a musician in general.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, when I was younger, around the age of three or four, I uh, got into classical piano. I started taking lessons, started um, studying the piano at that age. And uh, up until about the age of middle school, I decided I wanted to give orchestra a try. So I started with the violin, you know, everybody was playing the violin. You know, the violin was like the most popular instrument at the time in the orchestra. So I was like, let me try this. So picked up the violin, played that for about, Three to four months, and then I was like, you know, I'm tired of this. I want to give cello a try. So I picked up cello, played cello for about uh, about two to three months. And then um, there was this one day in orchestra class. This uh, bass player came in. He was a great jazz and orchestral player. He goes by the name of Court Courtney Winter. He came in, he played for us, played with us, and um, just the overall bass sound, I was just drawn to it. And I just, I just fell in love with it at that moment and that was the day I decided I want to be a bass player so you know I played orchestra played the double bass um, throughout middle school up until about eighth grade I started deciding I want to take it a little bit more seriously so that's when I was um, I started taking lessons with Paul sharp here at UNCsa late eighth grade and uh, I've been studying with him ever since
0: that's great it's it's funny you know we both have a, you know, really similar experience with starting music. Um, I mean, I didn't play piano before I started playing saxophone, but similarly, you know, we went to the same middle school as well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in 8th grade, um, it was uh, at a pep rally or something like that. We both played. You played um uh Saint-Saens um The Elephant. The Elephant. Yep. Yeah, and I played the first movement of Robert Schumann's um Three Romances for mm-hmm. Oboe. I remember that was that was that was fun. But yep. uh yeah, no, it's, it's crazy how um, when you start like an instrument at a older age than like the traditional, like four or five years old, how how quick your progress can be because this you have such a stronger focus on things. Um, so that's definitely, you know, showing in what you're doing now. Um, but on the point of, you know, Professor Sharp, um, what's it like studying with him? I know he's a pretty big deal in the bass community. So, you know, having a lesson with someone like that every week. can I don't know if it's uh, intense or kind of what, what's that like with him?
1: Yep. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to study with him. He's a great teacher, just all around great guy, cares about all of his students, cares about the growth of everyone in the studio. So it's, you know, it's great studying with him. Um, yeah, I would say it's, it's an intense program. You know, we have different ensembles we do, like the bass quartet, uh, different solo performances and masterclass each week you know, he has high expectations of us. So we're all sure to work hard and uh, always give our best when studying with him.
0: Yeah, no. Um, So it's the studio is pretty integrated, both high school and and college, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I I hear that you mentioned a lot about the chamber music. Um, What is bass, you know, chamber music like? That's something that's not traditionally talked about like even in the orchestral world because it's kind of it's pretty unique like bass quartet and stuff like that so just I wonder if you wanted to talk a little bit about what that experience is like with that kind of chamber music
1: yeah that's a great question
0: yeah the double bass in a lot of chamber
1: music isn't as profound as say an instrument like the violin or just the typical like string quartet instruments like the violin viola cello and bass or just the cello um, so us basses, we have to often, you know, find different quintets that we can play in, or we can, you know, we have composers that have written duets, trios, and quartets for us to play in. So, you know, that's how we try to establish ourselves in the chamber music world by playing those, uh, those bass arrangements of other things and mm-hmm. just bass works.
0: Oh, yeah. It, that's, um, that's quite similar, you know, to the saxophone quartet. I think when it comes to transcriptions especially, I mean, we're very lucky to have a pretty um, a large uh, library of new music, but we're really lacking in that late romantic, you know, impressionistic stuff. We have a few pieces here and there, but so that we are always stealing. You know, I don't want to say stealing, but, you know, getting these transcriptions of, like, you know, Shasti, Shasti 8, and all mm-hmm. these, like, you know, amazing court, you know, string quartets, but I, I definitely, you know, I definitely get that. Um, so I, I, I guess, you know, the, uh, a big part of your life at UNCSA is, you know, the orchestra here, um, this year is Beethoven five and no Beethoven six, i yeah. Beethoven six, six and, uh, a really great piece by Jesse Montgomery banner. Um, what, uh, how has that been, you know, the, uh, process been like with your rehearsals and I know last year you know with everything you had there if you want to talk a little bit about you know what the orchestra's like.
1: Yep yeah the rehearsal it's a lot of fun you know you know ever since COVID ended it's great to great to be back in that that symphony you know um, and it's, it's significant for me because you know last year my first year here at UNCSA was my first time ever playing in a full symphony orchestra which like in middle school, you know, you played in the just the orchestra, no wind instruments or anything like that. So coming here and getting to play in the symphony was very significant. And uh, I was very grateful and still am grateful to be able to be a player in the symphony. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. You know, um, I applaud the, the faculty of the orchestra. They always pick amazing music for us to play. It's always a lot of fun to uh, learn get in rehearsals and you know collaborate with our peers to try to you know share the beautiful gift and experience the gift of music
0: oh yeah yeah I know um getting to work with you know people like Dr. Norman and all these really exceptional conductors I mean and you guys have like Robert Franz come in and uh who else was here last year um Thomas Wilkins Thomas Wilkins yeah yeah, huge names Huge names, you know, getting to conduct pieces like Mahler Five is, is really something. Especially being in high school, getting mm-hmm. that experience. It's gosh, it's, it's something else. Um, now I, I heard you say that here was your first orchestral true the you know, symphony orchestra experience, but I thought it was NYO. Oh yeah. Hey, NYO yeah, too, yeah. yeah. That uh, is correct. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, you were a sophomore in high school, right? Going in, uh, going into sophomore going year. sophomore year for NYO two which right. is, you know, so applaudable right there. But talk about that. I mean, that's it's a pretty big deal for, for high school student orchestral musicians being in the National Youth Orchestra, if you want to talk a little bit about the process and what you've learned from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, yeah, that was my first orchestral experience. Um, you know, it was a pleasure to get to play in that orchestra. You know, before then, earlier that year, I was playing in the, you know, the school orchestra, you know, just strings. But... It's amazing just a year later to be able to be in a full symphony and to be playing in the National Youth Orchestra with a bunch of other amazing musicians. That was just a mind-blowing experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So when you were there, um, you know, obviously being surrounded by some really exceptional people, um, you got to work with you know a very big conductor in today's today's age, um, Maestro Chen, um Mayin Chen. What I know she has some pretty, you know, different approaches to her, her work in um, orchestra. I was able to speak with her at um, at Tanglewood this summer, the Tanglewood Institute, when she was conducting um, some uh, symphonic metamorphosis with um, with their with the Tanglewood Orchestra. Um, she said a lot of really great things about you, and she remembered you, which is which is you know really which is something else. But well, if you had anything that you you got from her, or any important kind of learning moments. From her specifically what, what was that
1: yeah it w- it was uh it was amazing working with Maestra Chen. She was the first you know first you know um like high, very high level mm-hmm. conductor that I worked with, and it was great working with her. she had you know she had a she brought a lot of energy to every rehearsal, and I really thought that was cool. She had very high expectations of everybody in the orchestra. And I thought one thing that was interesting about her is us kids, our age, you know, 14, 16, just high school age, she was she refers to us as her children. So, you know, just Hmm. seeking that close relationship with the players outside of just, you know, conducting us, just seeking the relationship. I feel like that that helps in bringing the most out of our experience Mm -hmm. with the music and just as a as a community of the orchestra. You know, I spoke with her uh, many times outside of rehearsal, and um, you know, she taught me a lot of cool things about you know how auditions
0: worked, a lot of cool things like that. Yeah, no, d- definitely. I think I think she's a, a staple for sure, and um, you know, in today's you know today's classical world for sure. Um, so on, on you know, in the same vein of N.Y.O., you have you know quite a few accolades you know on your name right now especially for you know for our age um if you want to talk about maybe some of the uh comp your competitions experience um and maybe what you've learned from working you know working for these you know pretty you know pretty big uh rewards um and you know if if what you think about co- competitions and what you've learned from working for that sure yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: one competition that I was doing around the time I was auditioning for NYO2 was the International Society of um uh, solo performance competition. I was doing that competition um, about a year or so ago, and there was a lot of repertoire that had to be learned from it, and they it had to be performed from memory. So preparing for that process just taught me a lot about how to approach practicing and how to practice effectively in, in a given amount of time. So, say one day you might play, you might practice, say, two or three of the pieces. And then the next day you'll play the other two or three pieces that you have to play. And just, just keeping that balance, of trying to accomplish the most that you can in the shortest amount of time, I feel is the key to effective practicing. And it will it will help you in the long run. You'll have you know longevity, and you'll be able to get more done in the practice
0: room overall. Yeah, no, I um, I 100% agree. I think when you're in a moment of I don't want to say rush, but high intensity practicing, it's it's crucial to you know that teaches you how to practice. Because um, if you look at some of the top players, you know of you know of today's world and even way back when they weren't you know when they got to a certain age they weren't playing for six hours every single day or practicing for six hours a day I mean that's just not possible when you have this rehearsal to go to this orchestra to play in and and whatnot like you know you might have 30 minutes and you have kids and stuff like that it it's so important to learn how to get all that work done you know I uh you know someone told me one time that uh they, you know, as a professor, they believe that they can get more work done in 30 minutes than most could get done in four hours. And I believe that, you know, when you learn how to do something, you know, at a high level, it's it's not going to take you that long. And I think that's what you're saying is when you have so much repertoire to learn, you can't, you know, put in six hours on one piece. It's just not possible. And I, you know, I'm, I definitely learned that when I had my injury last year that, like, I really can't. You've got to be healthy about it, you know right yeah. yeah you gotta be really healthy about the practice room i think it's uh i think it's really important um well yeah so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll jump back and talk about one other pretty big thing with you during this break i'd like to say thank you to our wonderful sponsor that made this episode possible for mower works your home for all lawn improvement needs 2956 griffith road Winston Salem, north carolina and make sure to give them a call for any questions. 336-768-8888. So, uh, welcome back everyone. Um, I know a pretty big conversation that I have with a lot of my musician friends that I know you do as well is is injuries. Um, Last year, uh, I unfortunately uh, collapsed or minorly collapsed my soft palate, middle of a masterclass performance actually. Um, And right now I'm currently dealing with some some jaw pains that might be um, TMJ. And these all these things come from playing, but also um, it's uh, unhealthy habits that happen in the practice room. And I know that's something that you've dealt with as well. Um, and, yeah, I just want to, you know, hear a little bit about that. And maybe someone listening, dancer, musician, or works in a desk can maybe get something out of it.
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, as of um, December 19th of um, 2021, I've been dealing with... Um, some, an injury called repetitive strain injury in my dorsal interosseus in my hand. It's kind of in between the web spaces, in between my fingers. And um, I believe that this injury is due to unhealthy practice habits and just overuse of the muscle. Um, You know, when I look back at some of the, the things that I was doing during this time, you know, here at school I was waking up at say, 6.30 in the morning. Yes, we were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Being in the practice room by 6.45, 7 o'clock, just uh, cranking out long hours in the practice room every day, just long, long hours on top of all the rehearsals that we have. Then, uh, you know, going to bed late at night, you know, 1, 2 in the morning, and just repeating the same process every day. And uh, that's very unhealthy, and eventually it caught up to me. And um, unfortunately, I'm still dealing with it to this day. But, um, you know, I'm making efforts to, you know, conquer this injury. So, you know, just trying to stay hopeful. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I would say my main message to help prevent this is to take care of your body. That's that's key. Your health is your wealth. You know, if you you take care of your body after you finish dancing, after you finish playing your instrument, you might want to ice your hand, you know, stretch your hand. It's important to do stretches before every time you play. And just consistency, have consistency with recovery. You know, take different vitamins like D3, fish oil, you know, things like that, even collagen. I I know that's good for athletes such as like dancers. It's just essential to have a routine, you know, a daily routine to keep your health in check so that you can take care of your body. Because, you know, we need our body to you know, be dancers or do whatever art, be artists. I know artists deal with different repetitive strain injuries as well. You know, just all artists, you know, musicians, dancers, you know, we all need to be taking care of our bodies daily and just staying on top of our health.
0: A hundred percent. And I feel like a lot of times we just assume that because what we're doing is not athletic quotations around that, that nothing can happen. But, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, obviously a, a dancer is doing something very intense, you know, um, physically, but musicians, I think are small muscle athletes, no matter what it is, if you play a string instrument or a wind instrument or whatever, small muscle athletes, or if you play percussion, you know, anything like that. I know with us, saxophone, we're constantly concerned about, you know, tongue position with the soft palate and the oral cavity and how that's engaged and how our embouchure is, you know, sealing around the mouthpiece and stuff like that. It's like, these things can, they catch up to you quick. And you know, I I dealt with that. And you know, something that I eventually led to, you know, um, helping me was learning how to kind of chunk my practicing in smaller bits, like doing 30 minutes and then stopping for 15, 20 minutes, you know? Um, and then going back in and then, you know, doing maybe two hours in that session, or maybe less than that, and then stopping for, you know, six hours and then coming back at the end of the day and getting another two or three hours and. So I'm still getting in a lot of time, but I'm really just spreading it out so I'm not, you know, being too intense on the face because I want to make sure that the work I do in that, you know, 30 minutes is is pristine and really good rather than two hours straight of unfocused, dangerous practice. Right. Yeah.
1: And to build off, you know, what you said, something that was recently brought to my attention that my dad, you know, my dad, he likes to compare musicians to athletes a lot. And you know, through this, you know, journey of this injury, I'm starting to see, you know, the truth and in, in that, you know, when you take an NFL player, for example, that there's an off season, there's a preseason, and then there's the actual season. You know, if you look at what they do after practices, you know, they have, they get massages done, they get, they have ice baths, they have, you know, hot tubs, just basically, they have to do that kind of stuff to take care of their body, so that they'll last. Because you know, if they if they for some reason can't perform, you know, Just that could be checking, the end of their yeah, that could be the end of their career. So, and I I'm starting to notice how us musicians are the same way. You know, my dad used to tell me, you know, take a break, you know, take it easy, take it easy, you know, ice your hand. But you know, at the time I didn't want to listen to him, but you know. I'm beginning to see that he was he was really trying to help me and he was,
0: you know, telling the truth. So, yeah. No, you know, I hundred percent agree. And um, I believe it's in a book, Peak. Um, I don't think it's Malcolm Gladwell. I don't I don't know who wrote it, but um at least I don't remember. It talks with the same thing, you know, about if you really want to get good at something, you know, the key to it is longevity. You know, how long can you actually last? And uh, you know, a famous saxophonist that you know any any saxophonist will know, um, Doctor, you know Timothy McAllister at the uh, the University of Michigan, um, kind of said the same thing that uh, you have to be the one that lasts, if it's physically speaking or just you know continuing mentally. Like people are always going to fall off, you know, they're not going to keep pushing. Um, but it is crucial that if you really want to make it, it's about you know how long you can last and. I think that's really what it is. And it comes down to help. Is, um, you know, is someone going to accept you to an... You know, you're only going to get let into an orchestra if they know you can play every time, not you're at risk of, you know, not being able to move the boat. Or is it, so it's it's crucial that if we're experiencing this at a young age, like you and I are, that we figure it out now. So we are in that point of, mm. you know, being in the job circuit, you know, we could, we, we're not worried about that. We're just worried about grinding. Um, but it's, I think... I don't know. Musicians' health is just is, is not talked about at all, um, and it sucks. Right, it and sucks, I think yeah. I think
1: time off in general. Yeah, you know we see, you know, I I blame myself for this too. We see time off as, oftentimes like being lazy. You know, there's you know, all the time you got to be at it all the time, all the time, no breaks, just all the time. And you know I've realized that that's actually not the key. You know. This whole situation here reminds me of a book that I read recently called Time Off by John Fitch and Max Frenzel. And this book is all about, you know, revolutionizing the way that we think about time off, you know, in our jobs, in our everyday life, in our careers. And, you know, these authors do this by comparing our lives now to, you know, how the ancient Greeks and how they lived back in the day. You know, they, they value time off, and that was how they were able to get things done. They they allowed themselves enough time to rest so that they could be productive in what they did, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And it was talking about how now, you know, people are working, you know, 40, 45-hour weeks, you know, no break, and everyone's all burnt out. But, you know, it just stressed the importance of having a balanced lifestyle. You know, doing things that you enjoy while also getting things done. You know, an example of this is like in the music world, practicing. You don't always have to be actively playing your instrument to get better. Same with other fields like art and dance. You can always learn by watching and listening. And that's what I've had to do a lot of over this period of my life. And I've learned that, you know, you can actually get a lot better at your craft by doing this You don't always have to be playing. You can listen. You can learn so much.
0: Yeah, you you really can. And I think that hard working and grinding, you know, can coexist with taking a step back. You know, I think it has to. And letting yourself breathe and, and just trusting your work so much that if you are just so beat in the face or the hand, you know, whatever it is, that you can take today off. You know, like I think, I think that's what it comes down to is if you can really perfect that work ethic. You know, having a very strong work ethic um, doesn't have to be ten hours a day. You know, what, what mm-hmm. you're exactly what you're saying. Exactly what you're saying. And I think that reminds me another book. Um, Talent is overrated, which you know most people know. I think it's Joffrey Colvin. Um, and that's the author. He he talks about deliberate practice, and deliberate practice does not have to be. All day, you know, deliberate practice is just a few hours or even less for some people of, you know, really focused dialed and stuff. I think that's that's really what it is. It's just if Mm -hmm. you can really learn how to practice and this goes for everyone or learn how to do something, then you you can trust that you're going to be efficient in the practice room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess I'll kind of ask you, you know, jump to one other thing before we wrap up um i know you're very much into fitness powerlifting, um and i know another really famous bassist is as well uh, um uh, joseph conyers uh he was yeah. he was a uh, power lifter at one point right yeah uh, bodybuilder yeah. bodybuilder yeah. yeah um i was gonna see like maybe if there's been any intersections you know positive or negative of all that work you're doing in in the gym and you know in the practice room because obviously it's good to your health um but i don't i don't know just going on the base
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it's good, you know, in your life for anyone, this applies to anyone, to have something else or even a few other things in your life that you like to do outside of your main craft, whether that's hiking, you know, biking, swimming, or whatever you like to do. For me, that's lifting weights. I've always been into fitness my whole life. I've played, you know, a lot of sports growing up. So fitness has kind of always been in my life and always, always had to be fit to play those sports and to be able to play them well. So, you know, now I'm more focused on powerlifting, which is a sport where you want to try to have the highest squat, bench, and deadlift or SBD total. So uh, you perform movements like the squat, the back squat, the, the bench press, and the deadlift, and you want to have the highest total while staying at the lowest body weight. And so that's how you win. So, that's uh one of my other passions that I like to focus on outside of bass. Mm-hmm. How about you, Lucas? What what do you like to do?
0: What do I like to do outside? Outside of sax, yeah. Outside of the practice room, you know, there's a few things. I um, I've been pushing myself to get to the gym more, and it's something that I uh, uh, I don't like, you know, think about 24 seven like I do the saxophone. But it's something that I'm really am getting into more, and something that I'm really enjoying. Um, so that's one thing that I'm really into, but also another big thing it's music related, but it is music production. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's important for every single musician to understand something about what comes on in the after end when you record an album or whatever. So, you know, I make beats or whatever, or also I'll, you know, mix and master recording of myself playing saxophone with piano or whatever. And I, that's something I'm really into is audio engineering, um, and the side but I think those are my two big things right now in my life yeah. outside of saxophone is just you know getting to the gym and getting work done there and um and also you know do you know recording stuff like this and you know learning how to make you know things sound the best they can and you know because I, I, I I'm an audiophile you know I just mm-hmm. I love sounds I love sounds and you, you hear me talk about some you know specific note how a saxophonist plays it and how the audio engineer just perfected that with the piano and it blends and ah, oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think it's really, you know, it's kind of wrap up what you were saying, I guess, is like, it is so important to have your mind on other things too, because you, you will drive yourself crazy if you don't have another outlet in your life. So I think, yeah. it, I think you can attest to that. That's hundred percent true. Well, well, Hey, I mean, thanks so much, you know, taking the time to sit down. Um, I'm yeah, sure. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, of course. I think someone definitely, listening have I've gotten some really great stuff out of this. Um so I guess if you have any any last statements you wanna make or kind of said anything you need to
1: Yeah, just thanks for having me, you know. First time doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <you> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's new to both of us. Um well hey man, um thank you again and to the listeners, um I know that there's a lot of students around UNCSA that just kinda wanna talk about their story, you know, talk about their craft, their art or anything else. Um, Feel free to reach out um, on our Instagram at um, opening the jar. Let me actually double check what our handle is. It might have changed. Um, Yeah. Opening the jar underscore podcast, opening the jar underscore podcast on Instagram. Um, And you can find us of course on RSS, um, Amazon, uh, Spotify, iTunes, pretty much everywhere. So please share follow love add to your playlists and yeah thank you for listening and thank you for opening the jar